3: This is the best of OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio.
4: I think we got Lance Taylor. We're going to be joined by him here shortly. LT, are you with me?
3: Clay, I'm with you, man. First question I got to ask you real quick, is my cell phone always bad? Because when you were locked out of the uh, Panama City Studios last week, I don't know if it was Justin or Jason Martin that said that my cell phone is by far the worst on on your show.
4: (laughs) Jason Martin. Jason Martin's had a feud with your cell phone for a long time, uh, but he was uh, he, he Jason Martin is a closet audio guy like he pretends that he isn't, but he's the kind of guy who like takes his pants off and uh, and gets happy, like thinking about how melodic the sounds are from an audio perspective. I'm not audio guy. Like if I can hear your voice, I don't really worry about the overall quality of the audio. But there's about, yeah, I don't know, one or two percent of the guys out there in our listening audience that are obsessed on a day-to-day basis with the overall quality it's like the podcast guy it's like oh the, the quality of the audio is not good enough for me i'm like can you hear my voice then the quality of the audio is good enough for yeah. you so like, so I, I never have any issue there. with it
3: okay well we used to we used to have a guest um it seemed like the, the phone was on the shoulder and he was like packing a suitcase every yeah. time we talked to him and, and the 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 thing that he was least interested in was actually talking to us So i just wanted to make sure it wasn't that bad
4: no, I think yours is more about just moving in your car, as often as the case when we talk with you early in the morning as you get ready for your show. So, year four, are you excited at all for the NBA Finals?
3: Sadly, no. And I'm a huge NBA guy, and um, I think it would be awesome if we, we, we thought we had any semblance of this thing being competitive. I mean, look, LeBron's uh, maybe playing the greatest postseason we've ever seen at 33, but there's just no shots. Um, I, I just I don't see any kind of angle unless you're to tell me Kevin Durant and both Clay Thompson or you know two of the, the big four for the Warriors get food poisoning and they're out three or four games. I think that's the only way we could have a fighting shot of a series going six or seven games.
4: When this season ends, if you were advising Adam Silver, would you say you need to reset the NBA playoffs and make it 1 to 16 as opposed to 1 versus 8, 1 versus 8 and separate the Eastern and the Western conference because my argument yeah, here is if we had had a final 4 of LeBron against the Golden State Warriors in one side of the semifinal and the other side of the uh, of the final 4 had been the Boston Celtics going up against the Houston Rockets and assuming that the Rockets and the Warriors both won those series and advanced, that would feel like an end of the season that justifies the playoffs having taken place, as opposed to now, I think most people out there feeling like Game 7 of the NBA's Western Conference Finals was effectively the default NBA Finals.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I think it's dangerous. Um, you hate to change the entire history of the league based on what we've got right now with Golden State. I mean, we used to have some awesome NBA finals, you know, and I'm, I'm going way too retro here with Lakers-Celtics, but we even saw that, you know, just uh, less than 10 years ago. So I just think it's kind of out of whack. The balance isn't there right now. Um, yeah, I mean, look, if, if we would have reseeded this year, we would have had more than likely a seven-game NBA finals between Golden State and Houston. But I think even going into that series, we still knew inevitably who was going to win it, although it goes seven games and it sounds silly to say now, uh, we both talked about this. The majority of people talked about it. Golden State was going to win that series. So I just don't know, if you're Adam Silver, what you can actually do right now. And the scary thing is, Clay, I was looking at the odds uh, yesterday on what Las Vegas thinks LeBron's going to do after this season, and I think right now it goes Philly, Cleveland, uh, Houston, Lakers, and then Golden State. And I think Golden yeah. State's 16-1. to I don't even know how that's possible. But if LeBron was to go to the Bay Area, I mean, there's really no reason to play
1: basketball.
4: Yeah, I I saw that. And I I think the uh, the play there, if you were advising LeBron, let's pretend, let's go ahead and take the step forward and say that the Warriors are going to win this series and that LeBron's going to have to make a decision. If you were his agent, you said, okay, LeBron, you're going to turn 34 next year. Where should you commit for the next two or three years maybe I, I just find it hard to believe there's more than two or three years where he can remain relevant at that age where should he go
3: I probably would stay put, um, and the reason I say that is I don't think it taints anything if he stays hometown um, a place that he brought a championship finally to if he goes to Los Angeles he would be the greatest superstar to put on a Laker uniform that never won a championship I mean nobody really talks about Carl Malone and Gary Payton chasing championships out there. But those guys failed. They got to an NBA finals. They got embarrassed in that finals. But most guys that go to that organization, they find a way to win a championship. And I just don't think LeBron is going to be able to do it. I mean that roster's got some some good players. I mean Ingram's good, Kuzma's good, Ball's good, but those aren't elite players. And I think even if you put LeBron and Paul George together, they're probably only the third or, or fourth best team right now in the West. So you go to the lakers it's not going to happen um if you were to go to golden state i just think it would be so tarnished because it would be so easy to win a ring i don't know how you coexist with ben simmons right now and i don't know how you coexist with james harden in houston so i think the best safest play is probably to stay put in cleveland
4: we're talking to lance taylor you can follow him on twitter at the lance taylor okay uh the other thing i would say since you mentioned the sixers have you ever even thought about getting a burner account on twitter Like, does it stun you that these burner account stories can happen as often as they do? And how frequently do you think people have, whether they're athletes like Kevin Durant or potentially league executives like Colangelo? We don't know exactly what the story is there as they're conducting an investigation. How often do you think these burner account situations happen?
3: I think there's a deeper, darker route to the burner account, play. Um, As far as the burner account, to circle back... And, you know, unleash on somebody because I don't want to do it under my regular name, um, especially a guy in the situation of Brian Colangelo or Kevin Durant. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, what we do for a living, we get criticized on a daily basis. Um, I don't even give um, the, 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 the tweeter out there the satisfaction of being blocked by me. Um, I just mutil and just keep going about my day. If somebody annoys me enough. But for a guy in the, in the position of Brian Colangelo to actually have a uh, burner account, I think it's deeper, though. I think there's other people out there that have burner accounts for, for, for di- different reasons, Clay.
4: Do you think Donald Trump is smart enough to have a burner account on Twitter?
3: Um, I think somebody probably close to Donald Trump has given him uh, the idea of a burner account, so I wouldn't be surprised at all.
4: Here's my thing on a burner account. I have access to two accounts mine and then the outkick Twitter account. And I it, the idea of having a burner account to me. Like I don't even like having the burner uh, like the burner account idea set up in my head because I don't like switching back and forth between my outkick and my Twitter account. So I rarely if ever tweet from outkick. So you have to actually be fairly technologically savvy in order to even pull off the idea of a burner account. I can't remember the passwords to my actual accounts. I, I certainly don't want to have to remember the passwords to a bunch of fake accounts where I'm pretending to be somebody else. I mean, I don't know if I'm the only person out there, but if I try to log into my credit card statement, the number of times that I'll fail doing that, or the bank, or uh, you know, the, my Amazon account to try to ship something to my house, like the last thing I want is one more password in my life.
3: It just seems like a pain in the ass. I mean, it's so much work. You know, when we were talking about the Kevin Durant situation and, and you know, one of the callers was like, well, you know, they've got so much downtime. And I don't, I don't get that. I mean, I would sleep. I'd watch a movie. I'd have seven girls come to the hotel suite. There's other things to do besides, you know, um, troll people under a uh, fake Twitter account.
4: Yeah, and it's not like they really like what argument do you think you're winning? That's the other thing. If you have a burner account, if you want to get into an argument with somebody, you can do that on your regular account. It's not like you win an argument from the burner account and somebody's like, oh, well, this account that I've never heard of before, oh, they must be right. Like the thing about Twitter that's frustrating is most people are so dumb once they're committed to an argument, it doesn't matter what you actually show them. Like, if I scroll through my mentions, the, the vast majority of people who are arguing with me are not very intelligent and they're not even making an argument. Like the number of times that I go into Twitter and I see somebody come up with an idea that I wouldn't have come up with before is pretty low. Right? Like, if I make an argument, you might disagree with it, but it's unlikely that you're suddenly going to come up with an angle that I haven't even considered. And it's even less likely that you're going to be able to do that in 140 characters or less or 280 or whatever it is. It's just highly unlikely that that is going to end up happening. Um, yeah. So I think the burner account storyline in general is an incredibly, uh, incredibly intriguing one.
3: But what but else do you is- think? based on brian colangelo could he ultimately lose his job because of this though
4: 100 percent, i think he could lose his job because because if i were a player on that team and i found out that the executive who is in charge of you think has your back right if you are a pro athlete i think it's fair to say that the thing you fear the most is people not being honest with you who are your bosses and so if they are saying to your face hey we love what you're doing you're being perfect like we have no complaints about what your performance is or anything else and then privately on a burner twitter account they are ripping you uh i wouldn't want to be there i mean i'll give you an example i work i do a fox sports radio you do radio if you found out your boss was privately on a burner account ripping your show on a regular basis and you found out that that was going on would you want to work with that person going forward as your boss i wouldn't I mean, and that's us doing what we do. Like, we're in public like a like an athlete would be. If I found out that that my bosses were going on, and this was the same thing with television. If I found out that I was doing a television show and my bosses were like, hey, really good job. Here's the three things we'd like for you to work on. You're getting a lot better. And then somebody tracked it down and they're like, hey, actually, the head of Fox Sports has had this burner account and he's been ripping you on a regular basis from the burner account. I'd be like, man, I... I don't want to work for this guy. And I think most people out there would feel the same way. So I would fire him in a heartbeat if I was the owner of the 76ers and this came out. Not even to mention the potentially sharing, you know, uh, things that are privileged information, all of those things. Uh, I, I feel the same way. For instance, if you found out that your attorney, who you thought you had a good relationship with, was uh, was representing you and then also trolling you from a pro- I mean, I'd fire him too. I, I don't see any way possible that he keeps a
3: job. I, I think the the burner Twitter account or industry,
4: and just oh, we started off talking about LT's uh, uh, <laughs> LT cell phone. Jmart feels one hundred percent vindicated here. Uh, Boom. Yeah, we'll let LT go uh, since his cell phone just vanished there. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. We're joined by uh, John Morosi at John Morosi on uh, Twitter. And uh, now that the Stanley Cup final is set, I don't know that we've talked to you since this started, but we're tied up at 1 1. Washington Capitals get their first ever Stanley Cup final win. And uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, obviously, are pursuing a 500-to-1 long-shot dream in their first year as an expansion franchise. How are the next several games in this series going to go? Who wins it, John Morosi?
1: Uh, good morning, Clay. My prediction remains the Golden Knights win. Uh, the, the story has been so great that I uh, feel as though I can't pick against it right now. Uh, and really early on in the series, uh, of course, 1-1 now between the Capitals and, and the Golden Knights, Um, The the chances five-on-five have actually favored uh, the Golden Knights, which is a really good way of uh, usually uh, measuring how uh, a hockey series has gone Uh, again. So it looks like right now, I I do believe that Vegas is the better team of the two. Uh, Of course, as as it always is the case here in the Finals and the playoffs, it always comes down to goaltending, and I think that they've been pretty even so far. Five on five, same number of goals on each side. So, uh, from what I can tell, this is a series that's going to go at least six and probably, hopefully, seven games based on the way the teams have played. Uh, and I love, too, it's, again, a great story on the Vegas side, but you look at Alex Ovechkin and how long it's taken him to get to this point and play um, in the Stanley Cup final. And I think he has been magnificent so far in this series. So uh, we've got two teams at their peak, and, and really both of them, to me, appear equal to the stage. So uh, that's, that, when you have that circumstance, you've got a great final.
4: When you uh, look at the NHL in general, and I may have asked you this question last week, I can't remember exactly. Do you think Vegas being in the Stanley Cup final, and like you said, potentially winning it, is good or bad for the NHL?
1: It's good. And it's good for a couple reasons. I think, number one, above all else, we can talk about the ways that they've constructed the team and and what the rules of the expansion draft were. The bottom line is this is a very well-constructed, fast, entertaining team. And I think as much as any other reason is that uh, for why they're here right now is that their GM, George McPhee, and their coach, Gerard Gallant, were able to craft this new roster a year ago, even less than a year ago, um, with an idea that they wanted to play fast, an idea that they also wanted to take on players that maybe were, were underutilized elsewhere, give them top six forward minutes and top four defense minutes, and see what they could do with the guiding principle of, we want to be able to play free and fast. And that brand of hockey is great for the league. And I, I think we're looking at a team, Clay, that, that is unencumbered by the reality that many other teams face, which is the, the game changed four or five years ago, and some of them had signed players to large contracts in the past that don't really fit the style of play that is prevalent in the league right now. But they're, because of the salary cap, they're kind of caught in between. The Golden Knights are not caught in between because they're able to start from scratch at a really important inflection point in the history of the game, and, and we're seeing the results right now, which is a very stylish, very appealing, very fast style of play that I, I just love watching.
4: How good? Let's shift to baseball because you're an expert in both, and we're talking to John Morosi as we do typically an hour or two on Thursday. How is Justin Verlander this good at this age?
1: It's a great question, Clay. Uh, I talked to Justin last week uh, in Cleveland, had a long long talk with him. Um, Justin's explanation is really twofold. Number one, he he talks about changing changing his repertoire slightly. He's going more to his four-seamer. He's also changed his slider in the last uh, year or so. Um, So I think from a repertoire standpoint, he's adapted. But more importantly, he's healthy. And and he told me about how really towards the end of – 2014, he had a start in Pittsburgh where his shoulder felt awful. He was in pain, and he and he was afraid that he was going to have an MRI that would tell him that he was going to have to have shoulder surgery. He, he believed that his career was, if not over, in very serious jeopardy based on the way he was feeling that night. And it turns out, Clay, he didn't fully um, didn't fully rehab back his his way from a from a sports hernia surgery the previous offseason. It was really creating problems all up his kinetic chain and was just not not allowing him to be the pitcher that he wanted to be. So he, he went to see a physical therapist uh, by the name of Annie Gao in, in New York City that, that subsequent offseason and really got some answers on how to get his body back in sync. And so the combination of tweaking the repertoire and getting his body back in sync, and also Clay, I, from being around him, he is one of the athletes that, that I've seen in my life and, and been around who who has complete belief in himself all the time, and and once he got that back, once he got that mentality of of being in his mind the best pitcher on the planet, um, the, the the results have lined up with that, and it's been remarkable to see uh, here at age 35 just how great he's been, and and he told me over the weekend he wants to pitch until he's 45 his idol nolan ryan pitched until he was 46 Uh, and now nolan ryan is uh, behind home plate many of his starts there in houston so he's got a great uh, idol to look up to in that regard
4: we're talking to john Morosi. for people out there who are paying casual attention to major league baseball as the nba finals and the nhl stanley cup play itself out what would you say right now we're over a third of the way through the season what has been the biggest surprise and the biggest disappointment to you so far in 2018? Mm,
1: biggest surprise? I, I would say the way the National League East looks right now. The Philadelphia Phillies and the Atlanta Braves were not supposed to contend this deep into the season, at least in, in the positions they're in right now, that this was supposed to be, for all the world, Bryce Harper's division, and it may still be Bryce Harper's division at the end of the day, and, and Max Scherzer and the, and the stars in, in Washington, D.C., who, by the way, Max Scherzer just won his 150th career game. So remarkable career, I believe, a future Hall of Fame career for Max Scherzer. So the, the Nationals are are getting back to being more of themselves. They're now in first place by half a game. But uh, you've got the Braves and the Phillies. Uh, the Braves half a game back. The Phillies a game and a half back. They are factors here in a way that nobody really expected they would be. Uh, on the on the downside, biggest surprise to me has to be the Los Angeles Dodgers at this point in time, being twenty six and twenty nine. Now they may still find a way to get back and, and win this division. They're only three and a half games back of, of, of the first place Rockies at the moment. But uh, with with all the injuries the Dodgers have had. In, in what could be the final year of Clayton Kershaw in L.A. because he can opt out of his contract after the season. Um, this has been a very disappointing team. But the, the narrative and the feel, Clay, could all change tonight as Clayton Kershaw returns from the disabled list there uh, as, as they face the Philadelphia Phillies.
4: And let's be honest, if the Dodgers make the playoffs they have the ability to win a lot of games once they get there, right? So this is not a situation where necessarily – I mean, I'm looking at the the standings right now, and they are uh, three and a half games out. Now, the right. Colorado Rockies are not great, right? Their they're grouping of teams, not somebody running away with this thing. They're still really very much in the mix.
1: Oh, they are. There's no question about that. If, if the Dodgers were in a division where the first-place team was – playing as well like as the Like the Red, Red Sox, Sox who were
4: 39-17. and 17. Yeah, right. they'd be in trouble exactly. then. The best
1: team in the game a 696 winning percentage, which is just extraordinary. extraordinary. Almost unheard of what the Red Sox are doing right now. But as, as you point out, you look at the, the National League West and the Rockies have one of the worst records among all the first-place teams in the game. So uh, it's still a very winnable division. Uh, again, they get Clayton Kershaw back tonight, which is a huge lift and one that I think will have massive on-field, but also I'm sure psychological Ramifications in a very positive way for the Dodgers. Uh, they still don't are without Corey Seager. They're in, in some respects their best player, so uh, at least the best position player. So, so this is still even at their best right now, Clay. They're not going to be able to achieve quite that same dominance, I believe, that we saw out of them last year. If they make it to the playoffs, it's going to be on some willpower and guile and and creativity here down the stretch. And let's watch very carefully to see what kind of moves their front office Andrew Friedman and Farhan Zaidi what kind of moves they make because um, as presently constituted I believe this team needs some bullpen help um, and probably a starter as well although Ross Stripling uh, who got the win last night has been extraordinary for them as well with an ERA under two good
4: stuff as always John Marozzi we will talk to you next week I hope you have a good uh, Thursday morning
1: sounds great Clay you as well my friend and uh, love this time of year baseball really getting going hockey playoffs. Harder they give anything
4: better. Good deal. That's John Marozzi. Go follow him on Twitter at John Marozzi. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. I think we have Dan Wetzel back. Dan, you with us?
5: I'm with you. I uh, heard so, the
4: question, too. Overman. Yes. Yeah, so, so if you were oh, an he, advisor, if you were yeah. Bob Iger's advisor, and he came to you and he said, Dan Wetzel, you know sports well. You know what Keith Overman is. You know what he said. I I
5: am sort of a big believer in um, certainly in the way I handle things is is not talking about politics and stuff it's simply because um, no matter where you're going on these things uh, I'm trying to reach the largest amount of people so uh, there are Democrats there are Republicans there are deeply political people there are people who don't care at all there's every single persuasion they may or may just want to read a column about, uh, about, you know, the NBA or, or the NFL. And so unless the situation is clearly political sort of the, or, you know, when, when Trump gets involved in the national anthem debate, there's really no way to avoid politics, if you will, um, you know, just try to just try to reach the largest group. So that's what I would do with Oberman. But will that last and will that work? I don't know. Probably not. Um, but obviously, ESPN believes Overman is extremely popular with a with a, a segment of their of their their viewers, particularly ones that remember him when he was just Keith Overman, uh, Sports Center host.
4: We're talking to Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports national columnist. Are you excited for Cavs Warriors version four?
5: You know I am, uh, but I, I can lose interest pretty quick, depending on how this goes tonight. And, which is kind of funny because you get blown out in games, and it really doesn't matter. Um, games can go seven, but I got to see something from the Cavs. Um, I, you know, I, I'm always intrigued watching LeBron try to, you know, carry the carry this load, and, and he's going to have a tough one on this. Um, you know, I, I guess I, if. if if Cleveland could steal one of these first two, I think it gets kind of a little bit interesting. But um, you are watching greatness. I mean, you have a, one of the all-time great teams against one of the all-time great players, and that is pretty that that is pretty interesting. Even though we've seen this act now, you know, for the fourth straight year, so I'm slightly intrigued. But believe me, if this goes just hold and state just hammers them in this first two, uh, I would lose interest pretty quickly.
4: We're talking to Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports National Columnist. You wrote something that has been an interesting question that I've been asking for a while. And I remember you came on the show a while back and I asked you about Shohei Otani, and you were like, oh, I don't pay attention to baseball. I'm not, you know, really kind of plugged in with what's going on with him. You watched last night. I believe they were playing in Detroit. Why in the world is Shohei Otani not a bigger story?
5: Yeah, I I did not know who Shohei Shil- Atani was when you mentioned. I think I was at the Masters that week. It was early. Yeah, I it was
4: in April. Yeah,
5: yeah, and he was having the big jump early. Um, I I went to the game last night and and covered it. There were about twelve thousand people there in Detroit. Now you know it's a weeknight game. There was going to be rain. There was a rain delay or two of them. There's all sorts of reasons not to go, but my lord, the guy is doing something no one's done since babe Ruth uh, you know he should be a massive star uh, it's he's really exciting to watch pitch I mean he's incredible he has four pitches he threw hundred and one last night as a fastball he was throwing a curve at 70 and then those aren't even his best pitches the splitter and the slider I mean he fascinating guy to watch he's colorful he's he's a rookie. He's, I mean, he's, he's doing again, he's doing something no one's done in a hundred years. He should be absolutely a monster star. And, you know, baseball, uh, I I don't know what's happened to baseball. I don't know why baseball can't create stars. I don't know why they can't, uh, they can't make a guy like this into a household name or something. When you come to a, to a city where everyone's buzzing about him, but, you have Otani and and Mike Trout there, and there's twelve thousand people in the stands. Uh, you know, I, I just it, baseball has just become this almost. Uh, I mean, it has its fans, but outside of that, it's it's it's. If a team is really good, then they do really well with attendance. If they they aren't good, nobody comes and watches. It's so city by city, and uh, I'm not sure how they why that is, but they, they just can't have it be this way. I mean, this guy is too interesting. To just you got you have Mike Trout and Otani in a game, and basically a city of you know four or five million people just sort of shrugs and doesn't care. Um, you know that's uh, that's a huge just you know reminder of the problems baseball is having in connecting with with people. And I, I just think this guy's story is so so simple that he, he, he you know again he's, uh, he, this is this is the 21st century Babe Ruth. Yeah, you know what's
4: uh, what's amazing about it is, Dan, it seems like baseball is an intensely regional sport still. In other words, like you said, you care about your local team, but baseball has almost no national stars. Whereas, for instance, in the NBA, uh, I think in particular, certainly in the NFL, there are a lot of guys that everybody cares about. And even if they're not playing your local team or even if they're not involved in any way in your local team's division or the playoff race, there is a national interest in them. And baseball, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to have that.
5: Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're you're an NBA town and, they, you know, hey, Greek freak's playing tonight. You want to go watch? Um, yeah, let's go do it. Let's go watch this guy play, let alone, you know, 25 other guys that you might sit there and say, hey, let's go watch him play. And even though our team isn't any good or, you know, you just want to kind of watch the opponent, everyone knows who these guys are. And in baseball, it's just not there. And there's not that element of, I have to go watch this game. I mean, you, got, you could have gotten in on StubHub for 11 bucks last night. Uh, again, you know, 19,000 tickets were sold. There was probably about 12,000 there. It's just, I'm just guessing on the crowd, but maybe it's 14, maybe it's 10. Um, it, it just doesn't resonate with people. They just can't sell these these stars, and they can't make it into, into something you want to watch. It's, hockey is like that. Uh, it's always been the problem with hockey ratings on a national level. Uh, you know, once your team's eliminated, people stop watching, most of them. So you don't build the momentum through the playoffs the way you do. In in basketball, and then most certainly in football, it's a whole other, you know, a whole other beast. But you don't sit there and say, "Oh, my team's out. I'm not going to watch the, uh, you know, the Patriots and and the Broncos play in the the AFC Championship game." No, you're like, "Oh my God, it's Brady Manning. I got to watch," or something like that. Same with basketball. You're going to watch tonight because, like, wow, there's Steph, there's Clay, there's Draymond, there's KD, there's LeBron. I mean, there's five guys. You're talking. You don't even need their last name in a game. And you just aren't getting that in baseball. I don't know what it is, um, but baseball is not so uh, exciting enough that that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, the
4: argument, it's an interesting argument that I've heard, Dan, is that you can watch the best baseball player in the world and he can look completely average in the game. Mike Trout can strike out four times, Uh, Shohei Otani can come out and get lit up and be gone in the second inning, whereas typically Tom Brady's not going to come out and throw six interceptions in a game. He's going to consistently be excellent. And certainly by and large, LeBron James is not going to come out and go one for 15 from the floor. And you know, like their excellence is easier able to replicate. So if you buy into watching a great talent there, you're going to get a, a better outcome. By the way, I'm told that there was a goose incident at the game last night. Did you witness this goose incident? What
5: happened? Yeah, yeah it was incredible. Um, they're now calling it the goose rally because the Tigers end up winning. Um, so there was a rain delay, and this Canadian goose got out in the field, and it was kind of just hanging there. So they they get the tarp up, and the Tigers, I think the Tigers were warming up or whoever was warming up, um, and the goose is on the field. So they shoot a flare at it to try to get it to fly away. Doesn't work. They get the grounds crew out there chasing the goose around. The goose starts flying and flying in circles, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's kind of landing. And they finally get it to go, and it's going to make a a, make a run out of the stadium. It's flying and going up, but it misjudges and just crashes into like the front of the the upper deck uh, behind the first base sign. Like just everyone's cheering because the goose is going to get away, and then the goose just slams into the, (laughs) the side of the stadium. And it falls back into like the box seats behind first. And everyone is, so everyone's cheering and watching this goose. And then also it's like, oh no. And the goose ends up wiped out. And uh, uh, they they run down and get it. The tigers are claiming the goose is okay. I don't know. I mean, what are you going to, you're not certainly, that's exactly the story I would tell. (laughs) No matter what. But then it was a one-one game, and then the Tigers immediately score like five runs and win six to one. So now they're calling it the Goose Rally. So if the, if the Tigers get going here, that Goose is going to get is going to be very, very, very famous. So that's kind of it. Nobody remembers who actually sco- like to your point. Nobody remembers who hit the hits. Everyone remembers the Goose. Granted, I've been to a lot of baseball games. I've never seen that in my life. Um, but, uh, I, you know, to your point, like, if LeBron goes 1-15 tonight, it's a story. Like, you can't win if LeBron plays bad. And you can win if Mike Trout goes 0-5. And I think yeah. that's a big thing. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.